Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly here with two quick announcements before you start the show. We have officially launched the Ringer NBA show's Twitter and Facebook feeds, so be sure to check out at Ringer NBA on Twitter for the latest news, analysis, and rumors from the Ringer crew you know and love. And check out Ringer NBA on Facebook to chat with like-minded fans and our Ringer NBA talent. Also, be sure to listen to our first narrative podcast called Halloween Unmasked. Our host, Amy Nicholson, deep dives on the famous Halloween movie franchise. There are new episodes being released Mondays and Thursdays for the whole month of October. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on to the show. Hey, it's Bill Simmons, a special edition of the Ringer MLB show. Red Sox defeated the Yankees last night. I am still um, trying to regain the blood in my body from that event. We're going to call my buddy Jacko in a second. Diehard Yankee fan. Usually we do it on my podcast, but my podcast was full this week. So we brought it over here. A little special gift to you, the Ringer MLB fans. Um, First, I want to mention theringer.com. What a website. Check it out. We wrote about baseball. Bunch of pieces up there. Ben Lindbergh actually broke down what the hell happened to the Yankees last night. And did it probably a lot more smartly than um, Jacko and I are about to do. We do that. We have NBA, A Star is Born, a whole bunch of stuff is up there. It's a good website. You should check it out. Ringer Podcast Network, Ringer NBA show is in full swing. Check that out. Uh, We are kind of ramping up to four and a half pods a week. Season starts next week. Ringer NBA Preview Palooza Tuesday. We have an incredible amount of content coming. This is one of the best things we've ever done. Please, please, please. Check that out as well. Check out all the great podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. Follow our new Ringer NBA handle at Ringer NBA and stay on this podcast because I think Bauman and the crew is coming back Thursday. And as the Red Sox keep going, I might pop on here a couple more times as this goes. Maybe even talk to Shea Serrano, Houston fan. Yeah, we'll go, we'll, we'll go at a little bit on on the uh, Ringer MLB. Coming up, here's my buddy Jacko. Oh, 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 Johnny, how are you? <laughs> Hello, William. Not bad. Not bad. How are you? How are you feeling, buddy? Well, you know, I'm I'm all right. I'm on the. I think I'm at, totally at the acceptance stage on the Kubler Ross scale. I believe that's what it's called. Kubler Ross. Um, was... Had you called me? Had you called me on Monday night or yesterday morning? You would have had the rant that everybody's probably looking for, you know, like after the four game sweep uh, back in August, because I, I was quite angry. But around the t- around the time the twelfth run scored on Monday night, I think I was like, you know, I just don't think it's their year this year. Mm. So, um, you know, I you wasn't didn't think really- that on Saturday night. I can tell you that as the as the big muscular arms were high fiving each other with their biceps. We did not think that that was the case, and we thought maybe we would steal a series here against a, a, a superior team. But it's not it was not to be. It did not happen, and um, you know now it's time for the repercussions and pointing of fingers and the off season. So. Well, let's do that. I'm really excited to do that with you. Uh, blame game. <laughs> what are your feelings on Giancarlo Stanton as we headed through the off season? Not not strong. Not strong feelings. Well, they are strong feelings. Not strong feelings of love. Let's put it that way. I mean, I I knew last night. I mean, in the ninth inning, when they gave me a little hope here, and I knew that your father and you were both suffering heart attacks, and 
harkening back to the glory days of uh, of the Yankees and the, you know Bucky Dent's home run and Aaron Boone's home run and all the other heartbreaking moments you've had through the years prior to 2004. Yeah. So they you know gave you a little start. They got the bases loaded and you're like, my God, you know, if he could only have a huge moment here and talk about becoming a true Yankee and everything else, but in my heart of hearts and in my brain of brains, I, I knew he wasn't going to do anything. <laughs> and sure, and sure enough, he didn't. I mean, he, he, you could tell he so badly wanted to do something that he, you know, had two wild swings where he's looking to put it out onto the street. And you just knew that he wasn't good, he was not going to come up uh, big in that moment. And, and sure enough, he did not. Now, I felt very confident. I got to be honest, even with yeah, Kimbrel yeah, just bouncing every breaking ball. Yeah, you knew Stanton wasn't going to come through there, and it was like he was trying too hard. And, you know, is he A-Rod 2.0? I mean, you could certainly make that case where A-Rod... Oh, you know, let's was make it. Trying to this is great. A-Rod 2.0. I love this. I mean, yeah, you know, where the Yankees went out and they got a big contract that was sort of, you know, put in their lap. So how do you say no? And he doesn't live up to the, you know, the bright lights and the big expectations of New York City. Now, you know, it's one season. Um, his numbers weren't horrible, but he didn't have any big, huge moments, really, where he, you know, put the team on his back. You were hoping he would do that when Judge got hurt. And, he, you know, he had flashes of it, but he never really carried him for long periods of time. Um, and, wow, you, you, know, you the, sound so rational right now. I, I was really expecting, put him in a car, pack his suitcase, pack his Ikea desk, <laughs> And his Ikea furniture, no, get him the F out of here. And on Twitter, everybody's like, well, you know, um, Dombrowski, he was he really outwitted Cashman because he got J.D. Martinez and the Yankees got Stanton. Well, the Yankees were not in the market for a DH. That's not what that's not what their need was in the offseason. But when Jeter or the Marlins or whomever called Cashman and basically said, we'll give you Stanton for free, you know, not, not to disparage Sterling Castro, who I love, but... You know, the Yankees got him for nothing. So how do you not take the guy who was the National League MVP that, you know, hit 60 home runs or whatever he hit last year? How do you not take that when you get a shot? I agree. And, you know, it turns out the Red Sox, who were in need of a DH, I mean, you know, that was, was we were hoping that was a little of a, you know, addition by subtraction that you were subtracting him from the Red Sox, who you know, where he could have been deadly in that lineup. They went out and signed J.D. Martinez, and he turned out to be much, much better. I mean, you know, it happens. It wasn't like, oh, boy, it was a race to see who could get the best DH. The Red Sox needed one, and the one they got turned out to be better. Well, so. and the, the other one that hurt you, and I know he played well down the stretch, but I can promise you that I wasn't afraid of him during any at-bat during the series was McCutcheon. Yeah. I, I wasn't I like scared of him at all. But, yeah, he, you know, he's not going to put the fear of God into you, and understandable. And, and you know, I mean, the, the one where you could argue that, that um, Cashman was, was outwitted was you guys got Evaldi and we got, you know, Lance Lynn. And yeah, <laughs> obviously Evaldi was lights out the other night. I he mean, it wasn't just he the, pitches well the, against the Yanks. I don't totally understand it because there were other teams that smushed. And him, when he but, was a Yankee, I liked him. He threw hard and he had flashes, and then he got yeah. his elbow got hurt, and he was never the same. And I wasn't like, you know, pounding my fist. Oh my god, we didn't resign Nathan Evaldi. But it turns out he's he's very good starter. That was huge for you guys because you know Price went out and wet himself as he does in the postseason every time, and especially yeah. against the Yankees. And for you know, it was a brilliant move by um, Cora to switch Evaldi and Porcello because Evaldi was was unhittable. And and you know the guy that you know the Yanks <laughs> the Yanks have you know hyped up Luis Severino to be the second coming of Pedro Martinez, and he, yeah. he's not. He's, he's far from it. And, you know, I understand the Yankees don't have a lot of pitchers to hype, so he he got a lot of hype and he had a good first half and he's shown flashes. But I mean, 
big moments, he's come up very small. You know, in, in the wild card game last year, he couldn't get out of the first inning. Um, in the wild card game this year against Oakland, he was okay, but you know, they won the game, but he wasn't lights out by any stretch of the imagination. He only pitched into the fourth inning, and then you know, on Monday night, it was a full-on implosion. And now whether that's he didn't warm up enough or the true, you know, the rumors about he didn't know what time the game started or, or it's just some, some problem with a pitching coach or some problem with him. But if you're count, if you're counting on him to be your ace, I think we're in a lot of trouble. I think that's fair. I, and you haven't talked about uh, Aaron Boone yet, who I thought really messed up yeah. game three and game four. He did and some I've been hard on him all year, things. and I, I think I, I did not love, you know, this is a team, this is a Yankees team that went to game seven of the ALCS last year. It, it was I was super hyped. This is going to be their year. They're knocking on the door, and this is the year they, they break through. To hire a guy that has never managed at any level before ever is it uh, didn't make any sense to me at the time and i mean i know why cashman did it because cashman wants to run the show and the analytics guys want to run the show so they want somebody who's basically a puppet that does what the computers tell them to do that, that's all well and good but there's times when the computer can't tell him when to make a pitching change that he's got to do that on his own he doesn't yeah. seem to have the feel for that in any way shape or form these are you know cora was a bench coach i believe for the um for the Astros last year. So he's been, you know, tested in the fire and knows what he's doing is learned from somebody. And just to go from the broadcast booth to managing the same team, you know, it's one thing if you're in the ESPN or doing Sunday night baseball and you see different teams every week. And I'm sure he has a wealth of baseball knowledge more than I'll, I'll ever know, but it's not the same as being a manager on some level or being a bench coach or a third base coach and being around guys making these decisions and having to make those decisions yourself. So I you have no think, confidence whatsoever in Boone going forward. You don't think the the year in the booth with Jessica Mendoza got him ready? I'm sure I'm sure bouncing ideas off Jessica Mendoza is, has some value, but it didn't really uh, <laughs> didn't really exhibit itself this year in the in the manager's chair. So he did way. he did some really weird stuff. Uh, I think the single weirdest was who he brought in to replace Severino in Game Three, right? Because especially when you saw you know, Robertson, how he used Robertson in game four, but arguably you just got to get out of that inning. You need one of your best pitchers, not your guy who's your long reliever when you're down five. Right. Um, no, don't, don't, or no even question. like Chad Green would have been a better option. Not that he did a lot better, but I, the, bringing in Lance Lynn no. was like, if the, no. the Red Sox equivalent of that, I don't know, would have been like Haywood Workman or, oh no, no yeah. even worse, like Heath Hembree. Yeah. It just was such a weird spot because you had to get out of that inning. Arguably, should have brought in Robertson. Uh, yeah. Did not anticipate that it was going to get worse for Severino when he wasn't even pitching well in any of the innings. It was just, it was just weird. I mean, I even from it. the beginning, you know, from the beginning of that game, the, the very first out of the game was was Mookie Betts that hit, he hit one to straightaway center field about four hundred feet. Yeah, and so you're like, well, you know, that's an out, hooray! But they're hitting the ball hard. And this is, you know, he, he couldn't finish anybody. He would get the two strikes on guys and he couldn't put guys away. There weren't that many swings and misses. So you're like, this is not his night. Now I could see that, understand that watching TV. I don't understand how Boone couldn't see that sitting, you know, a hundred feet away in the dugout. I, I don't understand how that worked, but so I have really no faith in, in, in Aaron Boone going forward. You know, maybe he learns in the off season and, you know, this is one year under his belt, and he he becomes the second coming of uh, Casey Stengel. But I, well, I yesterday have my in that regard, he took some shit for leaving CC in to face five straight righties. Yeah, I I wasn't as 
violated by that because I still feel like CC's been in so many big games, you know, at least see, but at some point during that stretch, he had to come out and he kind of kept him in. It felt like two batters too long. Yeah, I agree. And that, I mean, that's the thing that man, you know, that's in the American league where there's a DH and there's, there's not going to be any double switches. The only thing the manager has to know how to do is to manage his bullpen. And in the postseason, you know, you're not going to let starters in this day and age, they're not, they're not going seven or eight innings anymore. So the whole thing is to bring in the right guys and you have a full complement of pitchers available to you. You can bring in a starter for an inning, you know, a guy yeah. who's not traditionally a bullpen guy. You have to know how to do that. And he, he has shown no so far in the playoffs, you know, this year he has shown no ability to do that. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. And, you know, the Yanks have a good young core. I, I love Aaron Judge, like the brother I never had or the, the son I haven't had. Um, he was you great. Know, I, like I was Andahar. terrified of him. Glaber has a high upside. You know, I love Didi Gregorius. Wasn't Maybe scared of Glaber. Lightning in a bottle. Maybe they caught lightning in a bottle with Luke Voigt. There's some guys going forward. Yeah. You know, Clint Frazier, who wasn't a factor this year, you know, he's highly touted. Sanchez can't hit 186 again next year, I wouldn't think. He's got some pop. But from a pitching perspective, I mean, I, I have no faith in Severino. Well, maybe None. he's like a, you don't want him to be your ace, but he still could be your two or your three. I guess. I mean, if they go out on the you know market or they make a trade or something, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I guess arguably they have the pieces to do something. If you decide, well, you know, do we move Andahar while he's at the top of his game? Is there somebody that wants to bite on him to give up a starter that's, that's a capable starter? You know, I guess they're hot for Patrick Corbin from the Diamondbacks. Um, um, he'll be, know, I don't know if he puts the fear of God in there. He'll anybody. be great in New York. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't Go know. Go from Arizona to New York sounds like a great move. Well, it worked for Gregorius. I know he wasn't a pitcher. Oh, that's but. true. Great. I got to say, I was afraid of Gregorius. The the three I was afraid really of. Do, he didn't really do much, but I, you know, I think he's a little banged up. And no, but I a, just felt he's like got a streaky bat. So. I, I can only trust my my animal instincts when I watch baseball. Hmm. I was by far the most afraid of Judge. Judge is just petrifying. Uh, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's legitimately like a, they found a, a humongous diamond in the rough with him because he he wasn't a highly touted guy, and he's now developed into. A, a frightening force. Like, he's I just love terrifying. Him. Everything about him is phenomenal. Yeah, he's he, every time you get him out, it's like a relief. He's he was the <laughs> one guy in that lineup. Sanchez, you know, once again just does well against the Red Sox. I, I probably underestimated it heading into the series, but uh, he had a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence. And I then, wish I was sitting next to you last night when he hit that ball to left field. You know, it was weird. <laughs> I well, for, let's go. Let's talk about that inning because. Kimbrough, who has his, he's one of those guys, his stats are better than if you actually watch the day in, day out performance. It's a lot of like three and oh, and breaking balls in the dirt, and then just throw the fastball, and then he finally does, you get him out. And there's been a lot of pieces of the inning we saw last night and some of his performances. And last night was like the full blossoming of it, where he just comes in, they don't pitch him in the eighth. I, I love right. the sale move. I thought Cora did just a phenomenal job the last two games. The only thing I would have done is he should have pinched it Holt for Vasquez with third and second in the eighth yesterday. I don't know. Vasquez against Dylan Batanzas was dead man walking. I would have had Holt there. Yeah. But other than that, I thought he did a great job. But um, but Kimbrell just comes in and it's the ultimate Craig Kimbrell setting, right? If, he, if it's a one, two, three inning, he's usually going to get it done. And he goes in yesterday, and he's just all over the place. I really did feel like the atmosphere got to him. And the, that Yankee Stadium, when the fans are really into it like that, yeah, 
you can kind of feel it. And and he just was not himself. He was throwing balls. When he hit Neil Walker, and it was a facsimile, even though uh, this the pitch didn't hit Mookie in 86, but it was kind of the same kind of pitch with the lefty yeah. jumping out of the way. Yeah. And just the whole inning for me just felt like my childhood coming back. You know, and I tweeted something about that. And then I I made the mistake of checking the replies. People are like, fuck you. You've won 10 <laughs> titles. And it's like, so am I not supposed to watch sports anymore? Because we won yeah, some right. championships. So I'm not yeah. allowed to get emotionally invested in the game. I'm not allowed right. to think about the first 35 years of my life when the Yankees kicked the shit out of us all the time. How about when, That's how not about supposed to come back. That, how about the middle of that ninth inning when they flashed the Bucky Dent throwing? Oh my God. Pitch. Yeah. They were, they were, were TBS was, was uh, working all the stops. I thought they were going to bring in Joe Buck to, to talk about Babe Ruth, but, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, the Red Sox won in 04, 07 and 13. But it doesn't change what happened from 18 to, right. to 03. And you still like, you get these little flashbacks. It's like, right. you know, if, if I you, got one from the other side, believe me, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Yankee magic is back and, you know, destiny. And, you know, here, here comes the aura of Yankee Stadium and Bucky Dent's in the house. And I was like, oh my God, if they could ever do this and push it to Thursday. Oh, it, it would have, it would have been. It, it almost would have flipped 04 in some way. I mean, not to, yeah, not totally obviously, but I mean, it would have given you the it would have given you the edge going forward yeah, in the rivalry. Because the Yankees had like not just one foot in the grave at that point, but they had like one foot and nine toes in the grave. And oh so yeah, if they ever crawled if they ever crawled out of that to win that game. Oh my god! Well, the best thing that, that happened set the universe back in the right track. But the best thing me. that happened earmuffs Brian Cashman. But when Stanton came up, was one of the only times I relaxed. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. we're going to fucking get this guy out. He's in his own head. This isn't happening. But then Sanchez, going back to what you brought up, he he hits that ball, and I thought it was like a pop-up to short. Right. And then they did the thing where they cut to the outfield, and Benintendi is just going backwards. I was like, and the crowd started to make this sound. Yeah. And it was, I'm just thinking, oh, my God. No. <laughs> it, but then... The, the weird thing about this series was there was about 20 hits like that that seemed like they were going to be homers, and then somebody caught them on the warning track. That, yeah. This series had the most warning track fly balls I could ever remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's two hitter-friendly parks and two semi-decent lineups. So, um, you know, I wish the Yanks had done a, had a better showing. Obviously, you know, they could have won. They could have won Game One, come back. You know, Hap wasn't great. They did, you know, game two was phenomenal, but then, you know, coming back home and, and then just for Severino to spit the bit like he did and, and just, you know, head scratchers from Boone was just, that game was just disastrous, just absolutely disastrous. So but, going forward, yeah, I think one of the ironies of that series is that the Astros are basically the 75 Reds with much better pitching. And, yeah, exactly. And either team was probably fucked going into this night. Like an no, idiot, I'm going into the playoffs going, kind of like the Indians. I think the Indians, they're bullpen, and the right. Indians just Me came too. in. I thought they were sleepers when they got Donaldson and everything else. Oh, right? yeah. No, yeah, they were sleeping all right. Um, yeah. And the Astros, all their dudes got, that Springer is like, what, is he's like Willie Mays in the postseason. Um, yeah, it's own. Altuve, you just go through the lineup, and then, I mean, that had to have been one of the best three-game series anyone's ever played. Verlander and Cole come in, and they're just completely lights out. The game's over right. immediately. Their their offense hits every good pitcher Cleveland has. They don't care. Like, who's up next? We'll hit that guy. And then uh, 
now we're looking at this Red Sox series where um, other than the fact that game six and seven are in Fenway, it's it's just hard to get super, super confident. What do you think? You, well, you, you don't care about Mart- either you team. You have Martinez and you have Betts and you have Sale. And Sale gives you a puncher's chance because, you know, he, he's going to match those guys in, in putting up zeros for however many games you can get him to go. If you get to game, you know, I assume he's set up for game one if you get him in a game seven. Now, the one thing I will say for this is, you know, the, the, the former home field advantage of Fenway, and I, I didn't attend any games in this series, but I read online where Fenway Park was, was wildly subdued. It's, I think the crowd now, this is not like the old, like, Murph and Sully with a lucky strike hanging from your lip and, you know, 10 Jamisons deep screaming at people. It's it's an upscale crowd that's fat and happy, that's known only winning, and is just there to, you know, see and be seen and sing Sweet Caroline. Well, I got to worry you a little bit, no? First of all, your words hurt. Um, <laughs> second, I noticed during game one that there was a level of fear and nervousness that I just did not feel was appropriate considering we won in 04 and 7 and 13. Like, have some fucking confidence in your 108-win team. Hey, look, I was freaking out too. The bullpen was the eyesore of this team all season. But the energy in Fenway, as soon as Sale came out, in game one, it was like, what's going on? It was, it felt like pre 2004 and, uh, they've got to fix that. Like even what the Yankees did last, the Yankee fans last night in the ninth where they kind of like rose to the occasion, you know? And I, I wish, uh, I hope the, I hope the crowds are better in this next series. I, I didn't, I don't have an explanation for that, Johnny. I, I thought the crowd really got crazy, super nervous considering, you know, we, we've won 10 titles this century. We have three World Series. What the fuck are you so nervous about? City of champions. Cheer right, for the dude. team. I also think the secondary market has hurt these games on, bo- on both ways. Yeah, the diehards. Just... diehards. Well, the diehards can't afford to go anymore as part of it. And then you're right, the secondary market. I, I've, I went to a Red Sox game a couple of years ago, and I was shocked by the crowd because everybody was like a college kid or a 20-something, you know, just starting out and it's like he wanted to take pictures to be on Instagram and they, and they weren't really into the game. Now that was a, you know, it was a game in May or June or something. So it wasn't the postseason, but it seems like that sort of carried over now into the postseason. So I was thinking more just like a hot club to be like to be at Fenway is like to be, you know, inside some place that everybody wants to go instead of be there for baseball. I was thinking more. It just seems really easy for the other team's fans to get tickets now. It's they probably were, true too. Game one, game two. I, I couldn't believe how many Yankee fans were there. And then yesterday, when they kept cutting to the crowd, there were, you know, an inordinate amount of Red Sox fans. It just seems like we're moving toward like a Premier League model where yeah. you have 70% of the fans are for the home team and then 30% is like other. And it's like the visiting <laughs> team and just randos or business people I, don't I, give a shit. I went to Fenway Park in 2003. I was at the game where Pedro threw Zimmer down. Yeah. And I've said this before. It's the greatest day of my life. Literally, that's pre-2004 before the Red Sox won. That literally felt like being in the Roman Coliseum. Yeah. I thought people were, like, there was going to be, like, violence committed in the crowd on other people. We wanted the blood of Roger Clemens. I didn't wear anything Yankees related because uh, I'm gutless. But um, <laughs> we I, we got my buddy and I got to the game and we went in the men's room and there was a guy in a 
in a Yankees jersey in the crowd in the men's room. It, it was like a scene out of prison. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, I, I'm not, I don't want to be, I, I pretended I didn't know the guy. And I'm like, I pretended not to be a Yankee fan. Like, just get me out of here alive. And then when the, you know, the whole, you know, Clemens throwing in the vicinity of Manny and, you know, Zimmer and Pedro and all that. They shut down the beer sales, and the crowd was like, "Oh my god!" Like this crowd, like if if Clement set foot in the stadium now, people would like tear him apart yeah, in, the, in the stands, you know. So, I think after two thousand and four, the Red Sox fan breathed a sigh of relief, and it's sort of a different crowd now, and it's relaxed. But I remember, you know, we were in college, and we went to the Boston Garden for Bruins playoff hockey in the old Boston Garden. <laughs> that was quite a scene too of, you know, the Murph and Sully types hanging over the glass and wanting to fight like the whole Buffalo Sabres. And I, I just think nowadays sports, it's, you know, this price, those people out of the market and that Boston has had a level of success where it doesn't have quite the same, same prison vibe, hopefully. So, yeah. And I think people are definitely a little more civilized now in general. And it is the era where if somebody does something bad, somebody's taping it with their cell phone and then you could right, go to jail. Right. There's there's a lot more accountability, probably right. in a good way in, in 2018, yeah. <laughs> but I'm with Even, you. And, you know, I watched this documentary the other day about 14 back, about 78, and the Red yeah. Sox players would talk about like the types and numbers of batteries that would be thrown at them in the, in the uh, shortstop. And, you know, Kimbrel got a beer thrown at him last night, I guess, with a beer can somehow somebody got in and threw at him in the, in the bullpen. But those circumstances are few and far between versus the old days when it was like, you know, just a melee was possible at every game in the stands and on the field and batteries would rain down and everything. It's, it's a different crowd for the better. So yeah, home field it, advantage maybe isn't what it used to be. I think the, I think the success of the Red Sox the last 15 years has changed the rivalry a little bit. They also haven't played in a, in big situations really since 04, which is right. a, a crazy long time. Like the last time they were in a playoff series, my daughter wasn't even born yet. Uh, yeah. Speaking of my daughter, so I'm freaking out. I'm having a heart attack. And my daughter, as you know, was a fetus during, um, the, during the glorious October, 2004, she was the good luck fetus. And, um, she came home from soccer with one out in the ninth. And I was like, get over here. And she sat down next to me and Kimbrel got the last two outs. So I, I think there I don't you know, go. just throw, just mention her during, uh, at some point, Alex Cora. Just mention one of the pivotal <laughs> points of the game. Yeah, I don't think... She should get her own duck boat, maybe. The other thing is, I don't think... Like, our generation, everybody loved baseball, right? Or at least most, yeah. almost everybody. I think this generation, the under 30 crowd, maybe under 25, I just don't think there's as many baseball fans. And when you think about no, it... true. Those are the people most likely to be drunk and obnoxious and crazy during a game and and take things a little too far. I don't know if the the pool is there like it was, you know. Yeah, no, I think you know the I think the younger generation and everybody loves the NBA. I mean, that's what you know. ESPN covers like what LeBron had for breakfast and like yeah. you know, in the middle of a pennant race in August. You know, months before basketball starts. So that you know, it's the this, those guys are who the NBA guys are all like the superstars of today, whereas baseball players were for different different generations, even our generation. And you're right, it's too slow for kids and everything else. They're not into the history of it and what have you. But 
I mean, for me, like these last couple nights of playoff baseball, like just the tension involved, you know, even when the Yankees are, are beating the Red Sox, it's like, you know, the Red Sox get a couple guys on against Chapman and you're like sweating it out. Like, the, you know, somebody hits it out and all of a sudden it's a ball game. Like the, the tension just is, there's, it's not like any other sport. It's just crazy to me. Every pitch, something could happen, you know? It's, it's, you know, I, I compare it to different sports and the situations that you get in, in basketball and football, like basketball, the Celtics play the Cavs game seven tie game last six minutes. There's still, there's still breaks to regroup. Yeah. You know, you still have like a timeout or there's momentum shifts and it just kind of feels a little more natural and human. The baseball, there's, there's nothing in any sport like when your closer comes in and he's not doing well. I think that's the single worst feeling you can have as a sports fan is, oh my God. Oh no, what do we do? Just throw a strike, please. For the love of God, throw a strike. (laughs) And just, and having no other options. And like all of a sudden you hit this point where, you know, they hit, what did they hit Walker yesterday to make it 4-1? Yeah, and then you start two. doing the bat four two, and you do the math, and you're like, "Oh wow, we could lose in this at bat." Right? Yeah. No, that's the crazy part. Right? It just turns around in an instant. Whereas, you know, other games, if a team has a has a lead late and the clock is running down, it, you know, it's going to be extremely, extremely rare for somebody to, you know, throw a, throw a hail mary that turns the game around, or just you know, go on a run in the NBA where they're you know, like Reggie Miller against the Knicks way back when. You know, that's right. a rarity to come from that far back, but. Baseball, you know, a fluky thing happens, a bloop falls in, a guy gets hit, you know, if a guy guy gets a little wild and all of a sudden the bases are loaded, the Yankees are down three runs and all of a sudden they load it up. You know, Sanchez hits it out or, or the close hits ups, it out, they win the game. You're studying, I'm Kimbrell's doing his weird karate kid stance and I'm studying, is his hand trembling? Like he looks right. a little sweatier than he normally does, and it's just like they're honing in on his fucking beard hairs. It's <laughs> there's just nothing like it. I, I honestly I didn't feel like we even won after that game. I was texting with Hench. Hench was having a stroke. And uh, I was just like literally a stroke. And then afterwards I was like, I don't even feel like we won. I, I feel like I was in a plane crash where the plane landed on the ocean and we all survived, but it all seemed like we were going to die. And it's like, do we celebrate? What's the feeling I'm supposed to have? That you was how I away, felt last right. night. Yeah, And then it was a weird thing because they had to do the replay at the end to see if Torres was safe or not. So it was like, the Red Sox were like, do we celebrate? Do we not? Like, do we wait for it? You know, so strange. But hey, say love a. Can I read you some of Hench's, Hench's uh, tweets or uh, texts from last night? <laughs> Just sure. a couple. Um, oh, by the way, we were, I mean, Angel Hernandez. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a world where he's gainfully employed as a major league umpire, huh? What is happening? I get flipped three times the night before and challenged the fourth time, and he's behind the plate for a crucial game. Good work, everybody involved. As Kimbrough was falling apart, Hench tweeted, this will be historic beyond Chiraldi. I had a terrible <laughs> feeling, and it's playing out exactly like it felt in my gut. By the way, he did. Wow. He, and, then, uh, and then all of a sudden, just a lot of exclamation points. And then I am literally trembling. I mean, it was like, there's just nothing like it. When your closer can't fucking seal the deal. It's the worst. It's the fucking worst. But we got through it. Uh, Johnny. I hope he shits himself numerous times in the Astros series. I'm not going to lie to you. What we really needed in this series, this series didn't get there, in my opinion. It got, it got, 
it it had it had moments, and I think game one was really good, and game four was really good. But what we really needed was a little a little bad blood violence, and I didn't feel like yeah. we got there. I I'm so mad they didn't throw at Sanchez in the in the eighth inning of game two after his <laughs> second homer. Just fucking hit him in the arm. Let's go. Um, no, people were tweeting at me, and I had changed the channel by this point. But I guess Brock Holt had some sort of like shimmy or wiggle yeah, or something going yes. on. So people were like, you know, the Yankees need to put one in his ear. And if I was not watching a show about North Korea at that point, I'm sure I would have been tweeting out expletives <laughs> about Brock Holt and his family. But I, I had I decided for my own health to just move on at that point. So I didn't see it, but. Uh, yeah, and you know, I think before the game yesterday, there was a thing I saw online where, like, uh, Cora and Cashman and Dombrowski, they're all like hanging out and chuckling, and people were all fired up about that too. Like, because as fans, we like hate them, and then you know, players right. and and ownership, given the given free agency and the nature of the sport, and how everybody's buddy buddy because you'll be teammates next week. So it's like it's it doesn't mean the same to them as it means to us. So. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping this is the start of a nice little like five or six year rivalry. Yeah, you know, they got, they both have good young players and capable manager, you know, capable executives anyway. I won't go so far as to say managers, but capable executives. So it could be a rare time where they're both competent and, you know, you look around the rest of the AL East, there's nobody else really knocking on the door. So, mm. all right, Johnny. So, all right, um, buddy. Yeah, you have Worst to. Worst of luck going forward. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure Anytime. to do battle. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. All right. Take it easy. Bye bye. All right, thanks to Jacko. Thanks to the Ringer MLB show for letting me uh, hijack the feed. Don't forget to listen to the Bill Simmons podcast. We talked about the NBA MVP and a whole bunch of good stuff. And also I interviewed John C. Riley. That is up there right now. Check out all the pods on the Ringer Podcast Network. Check out theringer.com. And uh, go Red Sox. Go Red Sox.